I'm going to speak in angels this morning, so if you want to leave now, please go. You're all staying, that's good. See, I lost my reputation years ago, so I'm quite happy to speak about angels and all sorts of weird things. So on Monday night when we met as elders, some angels turned up. Didn't even ask our permission. Who do angels think they are? <laughs> I mean, imagine that. Here we are, being all spiritual, the elders of the church. You can't get much more spiritual than that, can you? And the angels turn up. Wow. Thought we came down from the lounge down here. And we began to pray down here. And we prayed some things about today. And there's a, when I came here this morning, first thing, there was worship going on, but as soon as I walked in, whoa, I was gripped in my spirit. Because there's something happening in the spirit realm. See, this isn't the first time angels have visited us here. The first time Alice and I came into contact with angels was some years ago. I'd read a book by a man called Roland Buck called Angels in Assignment. Anyone read that? Yeah. Came out the late 70s. And I remember I read this book. And I thought, God, can you confirm to me this is true, please? This was on the Friday night. Well, Saturday we sat downstairs at breakfast and Alison said, uh, you won't think I'm crazy if I share something with you. I thought, well, no more crazy than normal. <laughs> and she said, I was lying in bed last night, and this is upstairs, facing the window, she said, and there was this huge angel outside my window looking in at me, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace and well-being. So that was a tall angel because our bedroom's upstairs. So there's some big angels around. A little bit later, Alice went through a period of about three months where whatever room she went in, she was aware there was a, a, an angel either side of the door just protecting her. This went on for three months. Then the awareness of it stopped. It may still be happening, but the awareness of it stopped. Those who've been around here for a while would know that we've had visitations here before. There was one Sunday night about 18 months, two years ago. This place was just jam-packed with angels. You could hardly move. You had to fight to get a seat. An angelic presence was in the place. And it wasn't long, or maybe it was before that, when we had the Supernatural Family Conference, and some people from a new frontier church down south came to visit us. They were up in the lounge, and they said, Brian, you've got angels in the lounge. I said, no. I said, yeah, I know that. Because we've got normal for us, you see. And one of them went back to the hotel room that night and told me the following day, Brian, there was a big angel in my hotel room. I said, great, isn't that good? You see, these things shouldn't be strange to us. It was quite normal in the Bible for people to see and know about angels. And so I believe that God, I believe that we've had all these angels, but I believe that this time around it's like, remember Jill in that picture of a circle that's being closed and connected this time. I believe that the angels are here this time to stay and help us advance the kingdom because we're on the very edge of a major advance of the kingdom of God. We're about to move into the angelic supernatural realm in a dimension in a way we've never known before and the angels of God are here to help us. That's where we are. But we must remember in all of this, we don't worship the angels, we honor and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. 
so important for us. And if you think that we can advance or you can advance the kingdom without the help of the power of God and all his angels, then you're in a bad place. I know I need help. See, the early church knew the power of the Holy Spirit, but they also knew the help of angels. It was no big deal to them to see angels. No big deal. Even for unbelievers, it's accepted there was such a thing as angels. But the problem is with the church today, we've become so natural, we've lost the super. We need to put the super back into our natural, so we become a supernatural church once more. We've become so ordinary, we've lost the extra, we need to become extraordinary. Because that's the kind of church that Jesus Christ is building. And if God is restoring his church, remember what Nick said last week? Restoration is always better than the original pattern in the Bible. So we're going to see what the early church saw and do what they did, but on a greater scale. Because that's proper biblical restoration, isn't it? And God sends his angels to help us. Isn't that good news? Praise God for that. You see, the angels came in Monday night. And that's what I felt. We did a little bit of praying and all that. The next 24 hours, for Alison and I, it was like hell on earth. It was, I couldn't believe it. The oppression, the, the, it was absolutely horrendous. We were away somewhere and we drove back. I don't know how I drove back. I kept driving up the road and said, God, I am not driving this car. You are. We got home and Alison said, how did you manage to drive the car? I said, I didn't. God did. This went on till about half past ten at night. I was going to bed. And I'd done the stuff, I'd taken authority, all the stuff I've done over the years, I take authority and that just shifts. This time it didn't shift. I thought, God, what's going on? I believe this was under the sovereign hand of God. About half past ten, I got on my knees and I said, Father, I do not understand what's going on, but I still believe you're a loving Father. I still believe you're a good God. I still believe you always want what is best for me. I believe your written word. I believe your prophetic words over our lives. At that moment, it lifted. My spirit was set free. And God said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You're now entering your next phase of ministry. See, that was under the sovereign hand of God. Tested to see whether I'd still believe he's a loving father, that he's good and still wanting what's better. Even though I couldn't understand it, I felt like killing someone. If you looked at me on Tuesday, boy, our Wednesday, woof. It was like the oppression. I've never known oppression like that in my life. Neither has Alison. So I thought, thank you, we're in the next phase of ministry. Got in the bed and I said, God, where are the miracles? Where are the miracles? I forgot to ask her, what is the next phase? I'm so spiritual. But the following day, my spirit was bubbling up with the joy of the Lord. And he just kept thinking, miracles, 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 miracles. And I felt God said, I want you to loose miracles of every description over every area of your life and ministry. I thought, okay. I, sh- I didn't do anything for 20 minutes. This thing was going round and round. So I said to Alan, so we sat there, we've got nothing to lose, have we? Have we? Nothing to lose. It can only get better. After what we'd be, it could only get better. So we sat down, we said, Father, we loose every, a miracle of every description of every area of life and ministry. 
And we ask you to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and restore honor to your name. So that was this week. Interesting. So now I'm going to speak in angels. Just so we know they're biblical. You see, some men and women throughout church history and in the Bible and throughout church history, God's always had his men and women that pressed in for more. Always. There's always been a supernatural. When you trace the church, there's always been a supernatural element in the church. Maybe not on a large scale, but there's always been a supernatural element. Well, in these last days, God is sending his angels, and I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to move through as a measure we've never known before, because God is going to put his church on the map. And people are going to stop stop laughing at the church, because he's going to have that glorious, powerful, loving, righteous church. And we are part of that church. And I praise God for all he's done in the Bible and throughout church history. Praise God for that. Now it's our turn. You couldn't have heard me. You must be deaf. Now it's our turn. Do you want it to be your turn? Will you stand up and tell God, God, I want it to be my turn. Now tell him again. You've got to mean it. God sees your heart. <laughs> well, if you're happy, God's happy with you. You can sit down. Praise God. You know, angels in the Bible are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament, 165 in the New Testament. That is 273 of my master, right? And we've got a calculator. When something's mentioned as many times as that in the Bible, that means it's a very, very important Christian doctrine. Therefore, the doctrine of angels is a very, very important Christian doctrine. Okay? We should never ignore it. It's not just mentioned once or twice. It's mentioned 273 times. That's a lot of mentions. God's got a lot of angels. So, very, very important biblical doctrine. Problem is, there's good angels and bad angels. They're not all good angels. There's bad ones as well. And we'll get into that in a minute. But I better read from the Bible just so that... Uh, actually, it was interesting, Psalm 91, Marcus, because I was reading that this morning. That's how I was confessing over the people. Psalm 91. So how did angels originate? Let's get into this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17 says this. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things. Angels are part of the all things. Nehemiah 9 verse 6 says this, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. The angelic host are in the heavens. Psalm 148 verse 25 talks about this. Praise him all you his angels. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Where did angels originate from? God created angels. Just like he created men and women. So they're created by God. Isn't that good? Well, I think it is. So how many angels are there? Well, let me see this See, although the Bible doesn't get a definite number, there's a lot. There's a lot. 
Daniel chapter 7, that great picture of the throne of God, it says, A thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. That's a lot. You remember Jesus in Matthew 26, when he's saying about, you know, when before he went to the cross, or do you think I can't pray to my Father, he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels, one legion with 6,000. So Jesus could have 12 legions of angels, 72,000. That was just to help Jesus if he'd asked for them, but he didn't. But that's a lot. 72,000 angels is a lot. Hebrews 12, verse 22 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to our innumerable company of angels. That's a lot. Okay? So there's a lot of angels. Another thing is this. Angels don't die, and they don't decrease in number. So they're always there. And, and, if God wants to create more, he can create more if he likes because he's God. So there's a lot. Isn't that good? There's a lot here today if you're sensitive to the spirit realm. That's God to open your eyes. So, the next thing, what do angels look like? They're basically ministering spirits. It says that in Hebrews 1.4. They don't have physical bodies like us. And they live in the spirit realm. You remember Elisha and his servant, they were surrounded by the armies. And he said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And God opened the eyes of his servant, and they saw that they were surrounded by angels. In the invisible spirit realm, they were surrounded by angels. In the invisible realm. But, they can also take on the appearance of men. You remember Abraham? When the travelers came to see Abraham, they just looked like travelers. But they were actually angels. They looked like men. Abraham saw that. You remember down in Sodom, when Lot was down in Sodom? Two angels went down in Sodom to help get Lot out. You remember they blinded the people? They looked just like men. There's maybe angels looking like men here today. Looking like men. In Hebrews 13, 2, it says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So you don't know when you entertain a stranger, you may well be entertaining an angel, because angels can take on the appearance of men. Isn't that good? Now, they can also be unusual appear to be like a man with unusual features we see in Daniel chapter 5. In chapter 10 verse 5, it said, Daniel saw an angel who had a face like lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, and his arms and feet like burnished bronze. Wow. I wish sometimes my face was like lightning, my eyes like burning fire, and my feet like burnished bronze. Wouldn't that be something else? So sometimes angels can look like unusual men. But they're still angels. You remember at the graveside, angels can also appear to be dazzling and bright. You remember they're all all, the stone away at the grave. Dazzling and bright so they can be bright, shining with the glory of God. 
They could look very unusually. Remember in Revelation, the four living creatures with the four faces? That's a bit unusual, isn't it? Eyes all over the place, fluttering around six, you know, three sets of wings. That's unusual. That's unusual, fluttering around with wings and eyes all over the place and different faces. So angels can look different as well. Just a little bit different. And they can also be gigantic. In Revelation, it talks about the angel. It's one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. That's a big angel. When was the last time you had your one foot in the land and one in the sea? That's a big angel. Praise God. Now, do they have wings? Well, in Isaiah chapter 6, you can see the seraphim, the cherubim. These, they seem to have wings as they're kind of hovering around the throne. And that, that, that uh, psalm this morning, Psalm 91, it talks about being covered with his feathers. Does God have feathers? I don't think God's got feathers, so maybe they're just hinting that maybe that's something to do with angels. Do all the angels have wings and feathers? I'm not sure they do. They don't need them. They seem to have this wonderful ability to get by without wings. They can just go from one place to the next. In Daniel, chapter 9, you remember it talks about when he was uh, looking for Michael, the archangel, it talks about angels flying. But in most biblical references, it doesn't talk about angels having wings. So we need to get rid of this idea in our head that all angels have got wings. They may or may not have. You can definitely see the seraphim around the throne, but other angels, you can't pick up from the Bible, the angels have got wings. They may have, but they may not. The other interesting thing is this. Angels in the Bible, and in most books you read about them, they're always full-grown adults. Full-grown adults. Okay? And... When you encounter an angel, a typical response might be fear and awe. There was a lot of fear and awe in the Bible. You might have a sense of peace and well-being like Alison did with that big angel looking in the window. You might just have that sense of the glory and the presence of God or something else. We can react in different ways to angels when they manifest themselves to us. They may not just be in one particular way. But one thing angels are not, they are not nice cute little cuddly cherubs that's unbiblical you know when you go and tickle them or you see some pictures and some of these religious pictures these nice little cherubs with wings in their back floating around and people want to pick them up and cuddle them these are not angels that's man's imagination there's nowhere do you get cuddly cherubs from the bible nowhere it might be nice for kids but it's unbiblical so there's no such thing as little cherubs. There's cherubim and seraphim, but not little cherubs that people want to tickle because they're nice and cuddly and cute. <laughs> so, okay, another question. Are all angels good? Well, sadly, no. You know, when they were created, they were holy and good, enjoying the presence of God in the environment of heaven. But there was an angel in heaven called Lucifer and most commentators would agree that he was absolutely beautiful and he led the worship in heaven and all was well until one day. Until one day this happened. And you find it in Isaiah chapter 14 
verse 12 through to 15. It says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the earth. I will, assign, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. The moment Satan in his heart tried to exalt himself to be like God or even to be above God, he came out of heaven. I don't believe God had to command him, speak a word or anything else. Because God is holy through and through. And there is no imperfection, negative thoughts, sin or sickness in heaven. And his holiness is pure, blinding, whiteness and brightness. And as soon as that negative thought came, bang! Lucifer was out of heaven just like that. Cast down. Cast down from heaven to earth. Now when you read in Revelations, it talks about the stars and a third of the stars being cast down to earth. And so most commentators would say that a third of the angels came down to earth with Satan, with Lucifer. So that means God's got two thirds, the enemy's got a third. So we're on the winning side. And God can create more if he wants to. So he is now down here and he's set up you see, because he's a fallen angel, there's a, there's a system in heaven. There's archangels and there'll be captains and all that kind of thing. So what Satan did, he set up his kingdom of darkness upon the earth to oppose the kingdom of God. Direct opposition, the kingdom of darkness fighting against the kingdom of light. But if you've ever had a torch and you shine your torch in the darkness, who wins? Always. That little bit of light can overcome a great big room of darkness. So Satan hasn't got a hope in hell, because that's where he's going. And there's no hope down there. So we're on the winning side. Praise God. Cast out of heaven. You know, and this is the thing about Satan as well. He transforms himself into an angel of light. It tells us that in Corinthians. So he appears to be a good guy. When he comes to us to accuse us and tempt us and deceive us, he doesn't come in a red suit with horns, a tail and a trident. That's not the way he appears. He comes as an angel of light pretending to be a good guy. That's what he does. So we need to be able to discern the difference and tell the difference between good and evil. And there's this great conflict taking place in the heavens and upon the earth today. But it's not a conflict, a conflict of two equals. It's not dualism. God is the sovereign Lord God Almighty. And he allows Satan and his demonic host to exist until that final day when God finally squashes them and sends them all to the pit of hell. This is not an equal contest. On the cross, Jesus took back the authority Adam lost in the garden. So we have authority in the name of Jesus. We've got the angels of God to help us. This is not an even contest. Okay? The enemy is defeated before he started. 
And God is using them at the moment to fulfill his plans and purposes for you and me and for the nations. Under the sovereign hand of God. God is the sovereign Lord God Almighty. Satan is only a fallen angel created by God and God could snuff him out at any moment if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He's using them for his purposes. Okay? So it's not an even contest. This is not dualism. You get some Christians, when they cast out demons, they say, watch out now, the enemy's going to have a go at us. It's like a game of ping pong. I don't believe that. I do that under the protection of the blood of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, and under the sovereign hand of God. It's not dualism. I wouldn't get involved in it if it was dualism. If every time I come against the enemy, he's going to come back at me and my family, I wouldn't get involved in that, would you? Our God is God. He's big. Oh. Great and mighty. Lives in us. Wow. Another two hours, you okay? So this battle's raging, but we know at the end of the book, God wins. That means we win. And light always overcomes darkness. So what do angels do? This is the kind of... See, I'm breaking this down and going through this step by step because I want our feet to be rooted in what the Bible says because I believe we're going to start having supernatural experiences but I want us to be rooted in the Word first. Okay? I could tell you stories about it. I'm not, not, I want you to get rooted in the Bible because I think we're going to have some supernatural encounters. So what do angels do? Well, we can't be sure they all do the same basic task, but uh, there's definitely classes of angels, like the cherubim and the seraphim, and there's archangels and all that kind of stuff. But for most angels, here's the kind of job spec. And they might be splendid different groups to do this, okay? One, they worship. Angels worship. We had angels here this morning helping us to worship. No doubt about that. We're in a different dimension today. Angels love to worship. They love to worship. You know what else they love to do? They love to honor Jesus. They love to honor the blood and the sacrifice. They love that kind of stuff. They love it. So they worship. The other thing, they're messengers. They communicate God's will to men. You know it was angels that helped reveal the law to Moses? You know, I thought for years, Moses was just up the mountain... And God just kind of, you know, did his bit on the rock and he came away with the Ten Commandments. But it tells us in Acts that the angels communicated that to Moses. Have you ever read that? That was the angels involved in that. Isn't that amazing? Messengers communicating God's will to men. And lots of the stuff in Daniel, Revelation, different things, they come as messengers to tell us. And there's lots of stories. You probably know people, maybe in your own life, you've had an angel that's brought you a message and told you what to do. You remember Joseph having the dream, go down to Egypt, because all this, they bring the message from heaven, a message from God. So they're angelic messengers. Guiding. Oh, here is the next one as well. Guiding. Angels gave instructions to Joseph about the birth of Jesus, didn't they? Or the women at the tomb, when they went to the tomb, they said, go and tell his disciples. Meet me such and such. You remember Philip? Go down to, go down there and you see that this, this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, the angel told Philip where to go. 
I mean, I can't do it this week, but maybe next week I'll pick it up. But I love the bit after that. When he's spoken to the Ethiopian eunuch, he just happened to be reading the bit about Jesus Christ. He explained that to him. He got him baptized. And then he says, and then Philip found himself at Azitos. He found himself there. There's a few years since I looked at the distance, but I've got to tell you, it's at least a few miles. When I looked at it, I thought it was something like 23. It might have been more than that. But Azitos was a few miles. And this understatement of the Bible, I love it. He is with the eunuch, gets him baptized in the water, then Philip found himself at Azitos, and that's it. Transporting the Holy Spirit just like that. Amazing. Maybe that's supernatural, what do you think? I don't know whether they had buses in those days, double-decker buses, I don't think they had. You know, fast-running camel, I don't think it was that, but he found himself at Azitos. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, I can't wait till the I get transported. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to ask God for that one. I've got lots of stories I can tell you about that. Oh, they're great ones. But I just want you to make sure it's in the Bible first. Okay. Providing. God has used angels to provide for physical needs such as food for Hagar. You remember? Hagar in the wilderness with her son. The angel came and provided food. Elijah. The angel gave food to Elijah. And he went for him 40 days and 40 nights. Man, that was some biscuit. 40 days and 40 nights, you went in the strength of that. That was some biscuit, wasn't it? You wouldn't get that at Tesco's. Or Sainsbury's. Or Morrison's. Or Waitrose. Just in case there's any snobs in the house. You wouldn't get that anywhere. The only place you can buy these biscuits is down the court in Far Cotton. Okay. Christ, after his temptation, they provided for him, didn't they? They strengthened them. Wow. What about protecting? Keeping God's people out of physical danger. You remember Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace? Wow. Or Daniel with the lions. The lions didn't eat him. The angels shut the lions' mouth so they couldn't eat Daniel. Maybe he wasn't tasty enough, I don't know. You know, all of us have got at least two guardian angels to protect us. At least two. Psalm 91 says, He gives His angels, plural, angels, plural, to guard over us. So we must have at least two. At least two guardian angels. Thank you. Just say that I've got two guardian angels. I wonder where they are. When you leave here today, ask God, Say, guardian angels, where are you going? Where are my guardian angels? So we've got at least two guardian angels to protect us. And I'll tell you what, these guys can fight. These guys can fight. In 2 Kings 19 verse 35, it says this, One angel slew 185,000 Assyrians. One angel slew 185,000 Assyrians. Man, that's something else, isn't it? Hey, talking about my God's bigger than your God, my dad's bigger than your dad. Man, my angel's bigger than your angel. 185, who's next? Hey, see, you can stand there. People don't know you've got two angels. You, you can stand, who wants to fight? Kill him, kill him, kill him. See, it's good, isn't it? Well, you've got to use your imagination sometimes, haven't you? You've got to imagine the Bible. 
So it becomes alive for you. I better get on. Delivering. Getting God's people out of danger once they're in it. That's good. You remember the angels released the apostles from prison. They were in prison and the angels got them out of it. And then they repeated the same process for Peter. They just got him out of it. He didn't know it was a name. He thought he was dreaming. I mean, they could open padlocks. They can take chains off. They can open doors. You walk through them. And how do they do that? How do angels do that? Hmm. There must be an angel's manual somewhere. You know, step one. But how do they do that? It's supernatural, isn't it? They get people out of prison. Praise God. They get them out of trouble once in a day. I'm so glad about that because I am so very often in trouble. What about you? I wish I could say I'm never in trouble and I get it right all the time. I'm often in trouble because I get it wrong. But the angels are there to get me out. Praise God for that. So they're there to deliver us. Also to strengthen and encourage us. They strengthen Jesus after his temptation. They encouraged the apostles to keep preaching after releasing them from prison. And told Paul everyone would survive the shipwreck. Remember he was going to Malta? Well, they got shipwrecked. He wasn't actually going to. They got shipwrecked near Malta. And an angel appeared to Paul and told him, tell them that, you know, I'm going to get them there and they're going to be shipwrecked, but I'm going to save them all. 276 people, I think it was. And each one, everyone was saved. Praise God. God also used them to answer prayers. There's a great illustration of that in Daniel and other places. When we pray, God very often sends his Holy Spirit and his angels to bring the answer to that prayer. It's not just the Holy Spirit, the angels bringing the answer to our prayers. Praise God for that. Caring for believers at the moment of death. Lazarus and the rich man, you remember that? The angels carried the spirit of Lazarus to Abraham's bosom when he died. When we die, I believe angels carry us into the presence of God. I believe that. We're not left to our own devices. We're carried in the presence of God by angels. So they care for believers at the moment of death. So, sorry it's taking too long, but the worship was so good. Didn't want to stop. So where are we? I believe that we're in that place where we're moving into another phase. This love and unity needs to continue. And I believe we're going to see miracles, the supernatural and the angelic realm manifest amongst us more and more because the kingdom is about to make serious advances. And there's a harvest that we need to reap. There's a town, a region, a nation that needs to be saved. And God has given us supernatural help to do it. We cannot do it without heaven's supernatural help. We cannot do it. The early church couldn't, and we can't. So I praise God for that. But let me just ask you some questions, just as a kind of safeguard for you. If you have a visitation from what you think is an angel, just check this. Does it glorify and honor Jesus? Does what the angels say or do or ask you, does it glorify and honor Jesus? Does it agree with the word of God? Check that. Does this agree with the word of God? The other thing is this. Does it bring a sense of God's love and care? God so loved the world. God cares about people. God cares about the worst sinner upon planet Earth. He loves the worst sinner. We might not, but God loves the worst sinner. So does it convey a sense of God's love and care? And the last one I've put down here. 
will it produce kingdom fruit? What you've been asked to do, what you've been told to do, will it produce kingdom fruit? If you can answer yes to these things, take it as an angel of God and get on with it. We check it out, your leaders are mature Christians or elders or leaders first, okay? Can we stand, please? Father, I just thank you that, God, it's time for your church to make another advance. I don't just mean the church here, God, I mean your church. Every stream, every denomination. And Father, you're sending us heavenly help. And Lord, we, we look for the gifts of the Spirit to move in a new measure. We, we, angels of God, you're welcome here to help us as Kingdom Life Church, that you'll take us forward into the fullness of the plans and purposes of God. But Father, you would undergird that with a, a real sense and desire for love and unity in our hearts, and that all that we do we agree with the Word of God and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, here we are. Take us into the next phase of this wonderful adventure called Christianity. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>